millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to the AEW Rampage Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dadly Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to recap everything that happened on Friday night's episode of AEW Rampage. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Rampage, but also AEW Dynamite, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, but oh, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bigger quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidgwick to review this real big baby. Hey, I just met you. And this is crazy. But here's my number. This is real big baby. <laughs> Sidge, what did you make of the show? It was mostly really good, except I was baffled by the end of it. Yeah, inexplicable. We were just talking about this off air, and I don't know why we, uh, we didn't just dive straight into it, because... Uh, I, you were sat here yesterday on uh, Friday going, in terms of who gets the pinfall or who eats the pinfall, it seemed relatively straightforward. And it, it's annoying because it distracts, for me, from what was a really good main event. Really enjoyable. But out of other permutations, Trent getting the pinfall. Like, I, I could have almost accepted United Empire or... Uh, Will Ospreay and Aussie Open, whatever you want to call them, could almost have accepted them losing. Still don't think it was a very good idea, regardless of who gets the pinfall, who gets pinned. But I was like, all right, maybe FTR, because you're like, what kind of team we've got? But the, the, the resurgence of Trent Barretta was not something I called before this show. No, particularly when I was watching the match unfold and they did a fairly um, rote modern spot in which wrestler, usually the baby face, tweaks yes. a body part. And you're thinking, right, okay, well, that's, they've, in the course of the match, they've tweaked the body part, the heel has targeted it, and as a result, of, they've found a path to victory because of these things happen, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're the worst wrestler, because in pro wrestling, the baby faces are in kayfabe better than the heels who have to cheat, but, you know, just a way out, mm. just a way of being so And he got isolated for large parts of the match as well. Yes, absolutely. So I was just thinking, all right, okay, cool. It's uh, it's fairly sort of commonplace, this sort of thing. It's not necessarily my favorite way of beating a babyface, but it's better than stealing one or it's better than, you know, a distraction. There's worse ways of beating someone. And then he just simply won. 
Look, I will caveat this by saying even if they go this route or they book this finish for this reason, it would still not necessarily be great. But I could only think maybe it was copium. Maybe I'm still not completely given up on the process. But if they've strengthened Trent via this match with the idea being that one day he's going to turn around and say to Wheeler Yuta, I haven't forgotten you deserting best friends to join the Blackpool yeah. Combat Club. I want to fight to prove that you shouldn't have left us. I'm still a bit pissed off that you've basically allowed the best friends to implode. Um, and, you know, the character has been booked strongly in a match against a massive import star in order to ultimately put Wheeler Yuta over because Trent is going to get beaten by him. Mm-hmm. Even then, it's still waiting a few months <laughs> yeah. to get revenge on the guy who broke up your stable, in effect. Why wouldn't you just do that the next day? Like, exactly. why, wouldn't you, why would you let that simmer? It's still a... At the very least, and at the very most, rather, this is still a byproduct of a really strange and not exactly convincing or believable Tony Khan booking quirk. And even that's me being yeah. very generous about why they've gone with this result. And another thread, like, look, they can't have every single New Japan guy come in, win um, a own qualifier or a trios tag or whatever kind of... Um, way in which they can advance Forbidden Door stuff. But at the same... So I understand that Cole's already beat Ishii, so it was kind of, you know, these things have to go 50-50. It's the, in theory, it's the best kind of 50-50 when you're doing inter-promotional, co-promoted shows. You kind of have to do it 50-50. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be astonished if, on the night of Forbidden Door, it goes anything above 60-40 in the yeah, favor yeah, yeah, of AEW yeah. and New Japan. But at the same time... You've got to pick and choose your spots of who wins and who loses. And I don't think Will Ospreay, particularly against this level of opponent, was the guy to take a fall, even if he himself wasn't pinned. Yeah, I agree. It was the big picture stuff watching this. I'm thinking, like, I don't know why in my head I was like, you've got, like, a punch card with, like, you can have 10 wins over New Japan stars. And I was like, you're going to use it on this? Yeah. It was baffling. We'll get back to it in in due course, of course. Um, You mentioned New Japan there. I'm not going to get into a detailed review of Dominion. Uh, What do you make of of, of Jay White becoming, you know, heavyweight champion and of Zack Sabre Jr.'s call-out of Old Dragon Bollocks, I think he was what he was called. Yeah, I was thrilled with both of these developments because every sort of permutation I had in my head to do with the IWGP world title was not exactly ideal in that when Adam Cole started commentating I'm thinking what's he doing in the vicinity of Hangman Page here like they had a great match at Revolution which goes um, underrated in that there are so many AEW main events to even great pay-per-views that haven't kept the crowd Adam Cole versus Hangman Page should be really elevated and held aloft as this massive success Mm. because that got a really hot reaction and many AEW pay-per-views don't. They had the Texas Death follow-up, which was a takeover match and story and content that didn't really have that sort of buzz Mm -hmm. um, as peak takeovers did. It was fine, I guess. There were elements of it that I really enjoyed, but it was still really disappointing. I was expecting way more from that match, if I'm being perfectly honest. When it was all said and done, I thought, right, okay, well, bit of a dud end to a feud that was overshadowed by various other developments ongoing at AEW at the time. They did it. It worked a pay-per-view. Got loads of Google penetration, according to Dave Meltzer. The first match was very, very good indeed. You can just about call it a success. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of ended on that whimper, and I thought, right, okay, well, I never need to see this again, much less tacked onto something that could be really good in and of itself just months later. So when Paige said, I want a Carter, the crowd went absolutely ballistic. 
I thought Page is 10 times the worker he was when he was a New Japan regular. So even though they don't have the best previous, this could still be really, really incredible if it reaches its um, best standard. And then Cole comes out and there's a bit of an allusion to maybe a three-way match, I think Dave Meltzer was reporting on. Um, so at the very least, we're not getting a Carter, Page, Cole in a three-way, I wouldn't have thought, mm-hmm. because now that the title's been switched, there's no point in doing it. Um, so now do they do a four-way? Does it splinter off between Cole, Page, uh, sorry, Cole, Okada, Page, White, or Cole, White, Page, Okada? Or do they do a four-way? Anything's better than the three-way, because I was mm, not yes. into that match at all. They've already got a four-way planned, um, so I just I don't know where it's going. I do know it's probably not going in the direction that I really didn't want it to see go exactly. into. Jay White's um, post match promo was um, really strong. Yeah, well worth checking that out on social media. Yeah, the Tanahashi result was expected. There's absolutely no way Goto was going to headline the United Center. <laughs> um, so I'm ha- very happy with that. I want to see. I'm going to say this one million times to preview content for a different podcast, but I kind of want to see Tanahashi go coast to coast. It's the kind of thing that doesn't really happen in New Japan Pro Wrestling, um, but they can easily do this in America. I'd really like to see it. Um, That Tanahashi Goto was a very, I would describe it as a very good, albeit economical match. Mm -hmm. You could tell that Tanahashi doesn't really have that many big matches left in him. Um, He kind of moves very differently to what he did in his prime. Um, He's got that kind of that later day Kurt Angle quality mm-hmm. where he physically looks a little bit broken and he looks like physically transformed through the rigors of professional wrestling and doing so at a high level for so long, but he's still got those little flashes where there's no one who can do a 2.99 bit of drama mm-hmm. like him. So there was it was it was nothing else that Tanahashi Goto match other than a glimpse of right, that's Tana. Can't do 20, 25 minutes on every major show, even though Dominion theoretically is a major show. But he gave me just enough where it's like, right, he's obviously saving something for the Mox match. So ultimately, after this weekend, I was a little bit higher on the prospect of Forbidden Door, which had started to feel like a little bit of a politicized, let's get a lot of people on the same call. Yes. Um, Just further to that, at time of recording, New Japan have set their qualifiers for the All-Atlantic title. Oh. Um, So it's going to be Honma versus... Ishii or Ishii versus basically it's going to be Ishii. Okay. They're doing two qualifiers. Um, it's going to be Ishii versus someone. Honma versus Clark Connors. There's somebody else in the mix. But basically, I'm looking at these four people and thinking it's quite clearly Tomohiro Ishii. So you get Ishii and Miro and presumably Malachi Black and Pack in the same match. So this four-way has got like two oh. absolutely incredible matches within a match. <laughs> unfolding where the other guys sell. Um, so it's going to be two incredible versions of one incredible match. I suspect that's how it'll go anyway. I like the idea of uh, Malachi Black going for that, what's it called, blackout kick? Or whatever, the, the, the whatever they call it now. Yeah. Black mass. Yeah, uh, goes for that. And Ishii pops his head in like a turtle. Because he's got no neck. Yeah. He? But yeah, that's great. And... Uh, what a man-watering prospect Zack Sabre Jr., Brian Danielson could be. Absolutely. we It's been cursed to an extent by Punk's injury. But even Punk Tanahashi, I'm thinking, right, it's kind of expected as a Punk win. It doesn't have that absolutely immortal... Like, if you had an all-title clash, where at the time it was a Carter versus Punk, they didn't have, like, the absolute tippy-top star of AEW, 
versus the absolute tippy-top star of New Japan Pro Wrestling. It was going to be um, one versus B, A versus two, yeah, if you yeah, like. Yeah, I get it. Um, which is fine because you don't want these incredibly difficult political discussions to affect the booking of the show. Mm-hmm. You don't want um, to... You want Fans of either promotion don't want to go into it thinking, oh, well, my top star could lose, and that's going to affect their credibility going forward. So there has to be a politicized element to it. But ultimately, you have to have one match that the fans, because this is a fan service show, essentially. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really serve, ultimately, it doesn't serve either brand particularly well because they have to lose, the stars of this brand, the respective brands, rather, have to lose um, cleanly, because that's the book and philosophy of both companies. So it's not really ideal for the actual respective companies to do this show. It's all in terms of fan service. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you're not going to give at least the fans at least one match that they are desperate to see, why bother doing it yes. when it's not exactly ideal for each brand to do it? But Danielson, Zack Sabre Jr. is the one match that everyone has said, well, this has to happen. It's the ultimate dream match that you have to pick between these two companies. I think that if you took... 100 wrestling fans and said, right, do your um, ultimate yes AEWX New Japan Pro Wrestling fantasy book and show, go and do it. I think the match you'd see more often than any on 100 different as a sample fantasy book and cards, it would be Danielson versus Sabre Jr. It's going to be absolutely incredible. I cannot wait to see it. And Less than two weeks now, isn't it? Less than two weeks, Jeez. yeah. Uh, anyway, let's return to Rampage uh, and talk about this opening match, which I think might be up there as one of my favourite Jake Hager singles matches. It's got to be the best. It's, I'm trying to think of... My mind is blurred. I feel like there was another really good one, and then there was the one that Tony was like, this is the good one. And I was like, you're wrong. You're wrong. Um, had a good, you had a belt with Christian Cage. By the, by the standards of the time. Yes, I think it like might 2010's be 2010's right. WWE upper mid card, like, for whatever reason. I think the reason was, like, that the main event scene was so stale that when you got a really good upper mid card ripper at the turn of the last decade, you'd think, oh, my God, this is incredible. Like, that kind of match wouldn't even hold up now against a TV match Mm -hmm. on Dynamite. But by the standards of the time, I do remember um, Jack Swagger versus Christian Cage, like, really being class for a WWE pay-per-view. Yeah, I I just really... And also, I got a bit Vincey in this, as I saw Hager sweating... Tones now, big muscles, you know, towering over someone like Eddie Kingston, who, you know, physically, I'm not going to, I've got no position to throw any stones, does not look like Jake Hager. Yeah. And there was a bit of me like, oh, yeah, look at this guy in terms of Jake Hager. But, uh, yeah, often we draw comparisons between WWE and AEW. I want to draw one here from AEW to WWE, because both openers this week on Rampage and SmackDown, you can check out our SmackDown review wherever you get your podcast from, were just two lads whose instruction was apparently... Beat the piss out of each other, and then one of you win. Yeah. Uh, although we got DQ, of course. Yeah, exactly. No one wins in WWE, mate. <laughs> um, anyway, early on, Hager overwhelms Kingston with his size. Kingston tries to come back with those chops of his, but Hager just knees him in the midsection. Um, really, it sort of winded me watching this quite a few times, the way he just, he just like, oh, bit of offense. Someone at you, prick. Um Hager cho- tosses Kingston out to the floor and suplexes him. Kingston tries to come back with more chops, but Hager cuts him off with a belly-to-belly suplex. Uh, and then there's another chop from Hager, and Kingston's like, 
okay, we're doing this, are we? Takes the strap down, um, does some like speed chops in the corner, puts some boots into him as well. Um, but Hager again cuts him off with an overhead belly-to-belly suplex uh, to take us to a break. When we come back, Kingston, one of the few baby faces I can accept hitting an eye poke, poking the eye, and I'm like, yay! DDT um, hits a clothesline in the corner, and then those, yeah, those machine gun chops were, were nailed here. Uh, Hager fights back, mule kick, Hager bomb for a two count. Goes for a gut wrench suplex, uh, but Kingston counters with an exploder and a backdrop suplex for a nice two count. Goes with a spinning back fist, but Hager ducks it and then takes Kingston down with a nice double leg takedown. Uh, puts him in the ankle lock and he has to just scratch and claw his way uh, to the ropes to get a rope break there. Um, Hager's punching Kingston in the corner. Looks like it absolutely sucks. He's raining down blows on him, but Kingston picks him up, power bombs him, spinning back fist number one. And that's got Hager wobbled. Second spinning back, back fist. One, two, three. Eddie Kingston gets a win. Yeah, this is really good. Um, shockingly really good. Um, Eddie Kingston just continues to be brilliant. Like I said on the preview that he's probably going to have to bring a level of emotion for two people because Hager's yeah. not particularly yeah, yeah, yeah. good um, at conveying emotion. And we get the best possible version of there being some kind of actual exp- like some facial expressions and some body language and some genuine emotion to this match. Um, And you get Eddie Kingston taking the piss out of Hager at the same time, which is the best possible scenario. There's a point where Eddie Kingston's sort of like in defiance, roaring at Jake Hager. And Jake Hager like roars back as if to say, no, I'm going to bring the fight to you. And because it's a bit silly, it actually functions as a visual sort of slapstick gag because the second Jake Hager shows emotion... The second that you think, oh, you know what, be careful what you wish for because you actually look a little bit cartoonish when you do it, um, Eddie Kingston just slaps him in the face. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. It sort of gets something out of Jake Hager. You realize, oh, you're not actually that good at it. Oh, could he have been slapped in the face because they recognize that you can be a bit cartoonish about that as well. Eddie Kingston continues to be the absolute best. And there's a spot when he gets chopped and he decides, you know, I'm not having that off you. And he takes off the yeah. vest. But like the second that he does it, he's like, oh, actually, that hurt a little bit more than I'm letting <laughs> on. He's so great at not knowing how bad he is and not caring about how bad he is because he's got so much fight in him. And then at the same time, he's so good at selling, oh, actually, mate, I don't have that much fight. But, you know, I'm going to do it anyway because I'm Eddie Kingston. And they got some really good drama going by the end. There's a bit at the start where I really liked, where it was almost better for how ugly and off-kilter yes. it was. Where he a scrap. yeah. He's driving those knees into the gut, and like Hager's going for a second, and then Kingston's like, no, no, I'm selling that, mate, because you're an MMA fighter, and if you knee me in the gut, I'm going to be so winded that I can't just bump and feed for you. And I think um, Hager's got that bump and feed brain from being a product of the WWE system and spending so much time in it, so that he's impulsively going for it again, but it doesn't look like he's Mr. Spot, or they're, on the same, or they're not on the same wavelength. It just looks like... He's going for another move because why wouldn't he? And Kingston's still selling the first one because it's winded him and he's really hurt himself. Um, so it's like, even when it was ugly, it was good. They really got on the same page deep into the stretch. Um, I really like the finish as well. I don't necessarily think that there's um, much worth in protecting Hager at this point. But they obviously see him as this yeah. big, dumb, tough rock who needs to be able to be seen as tough and hard to put down. Otherwise, what good is he as an enforcer? But they don't squander 
and Hurricane to kick out of, it just wobbles them slightly to the point where, right, you are tough as nails. I have to put you down again. But at the same time, he's not kicking out of it, so it doesn't weaken yeah. the finish. This is as perfect a finish as you're going to see, I think, for a TV match. Yeah, these two men went to war, and I like the fact that yeah, he connects with a spinning back fist. And it's, yeah, it's a bit MMA-esque in terms of, like, doesn't drop him, and he doesn't have to... Like, if it was a big power bomb, for example, um, it wouldn't have worked. But he hits him, and Hager's just completely discombobulated. And you've seen some of your favorite fighters, whether they be MMA or boxing or whatever, just completely lose track of where they are. Maybe they drop their hands a little bit. And then, yeah, if you're Eddie Kingston, of course you're going to hit him with a second one because that's your chance, this yeah. window of opportunity that he, he snatched uh, with both hands and, uh, yeah, KO'd uh, Jake Hager, or at least put him down for a three count. One, two, three. And this feeds nicely into, obviously, where we're going next with uh, these two these two men in their respective camps. Yeah, absolutely. It's, just, it's a trademark AEW booking device where... Stable leader or prominent member of stable will defeat opponent underling of stable to, you know, just eat into some TV time. This is one of the best versions you'll see of it because I think this match completely over-delivered. Mm. It's just awesome to see how over Eddie Kingston is. You should, honestly, if you're going to have Eddie Kingston wrestle televised singles matches, put him on the opener of Rampage literally every single yeah. week because he sets that tone He's so over that he's not going to... I imagine if you're on the AW crowd and you just witnessed a dynamite, whether it's a great one or a mid one or an uneven one, you're still going to be really tired. And as soon as you see the rampage, you might have this bit of conditioning to think, oh, oh I'm a bit tired now. Yeah. And it's only rampage, and it's not really in the same stratosphere of, of dynamite. But if you get Eddie Kingston out there, then you're going to be absolutely bang up for it all over again. So even if he's got on schedule for Dynamite, just move it to Rampage. That's (laughs) genuinely, I'm not being facetious. That's what I would do. He sets that tone. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Tony Schiavone backstage with uh, Dr. Brick Baker, DMD, um, and she's not happy about Tony Storm putting her hands on that women's world title on Wednesday. Um, she's not happy about her Tony and she's got this two Tonys. It works well. Um, yeah, cutting, trying to cut the line for a title shot. And she says, basically, the road to the women's title goes through me. 
and Jamie Haight is there, and there's always the, the attention. What do you make of all this? I really liked it. I didn't myself spot this, but someone on Twitter um, did a sort of, you know when you see like um, one video, but it's cut into two scenes, and it's divided by a horizontal or a vertical Oh, line. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, a, it was that where um, Baker was talking about putting your grubby hands on the title, and that was contrasted. That was the audio, but parallel to that video was footage of um, Jamie Hayter doing the exact same thing and taking a little bit too long. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to do the NXT thing of, oh, I'm touching a title, that means I won it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. At least if you're going to supplement that with the subtext in a promo and allow people to like connect these dots, I'm all about that. And I really also enjoyed watching Britt Baker and Tony Schiavone have like, 2020-esque interactions together because I've missed that. Yes, exactly. And, hey, look, more than one women's feud. Yes. Yes, good stuff. Uh, and then we got a promo hyping up the uh, bonkers. I forgot about the fact. So I was like, there's four things now. Hyping up the bonkers dynamite we've got come this week. We'll obviously preview it all on Wednesday. 20 on one, hair versus hair. Did Hardy Boys reliving their glory days and Ethan Page versus Miro? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then we got the debut of Satnam Singh. He was tagging with Jay Lethal as Sanjay Dutt yelled down the camera. He's a brilliant, obnoxious dickhead, Sanjay Dutt, in the nicest possible way. Uh, and they were taking on Davy Vega and Matt Finch- Fidget. Just two guys who just knew exactly what they were there to be doing uh, and it starts off with uh, I think it was Vega who started off and Jay Lethal got in there walked around in a circle and went now nah, you're not getting it that easy tags in Satnam Singh straight away who just wrecks this dude chops the life out of him chucks him around like an empty tracksuit in the words of Adam Nicholas um, hit them both as uh, a Fitchett came in to try and help his mate hit them both with a running crossbody uh, and then just held them up to allow Jay Lethal to hit them both with a lethal injection. One, two, three. And my word, I've written this down. I've sort of described somewhere as a helicopter crucifix bomb. I don't know what it was, but I really liked whatever he hit the other guy with post-match. Um, a pleasant surprise. It was it was a big guy doing big guy stuff. And I did not have high hopes for Satnam Singh. What did you think? Oh, it was an absolutely wonderful subversion of what mm. everyone thought this was going to be. Genuinely, I thought this was a small-scale book and triumph. Picture in your head what you thought of Satnam Singh before this match and then after, and it can only be considered an absolutely unqualified success. Like, I'm uh, I'm on the Satnam Singh hype train. <laughs> I'm not even being too ironic no. about it either. So the expected layout, because we've seen um, a, a parallel of it in WWE very recently drew, over the last year. On, on the Rampage preview. Yeah, absolutely. Between um, Satnam Singh and Jay Lethal and AJ Styles versus Amos because in the, the, the formula for the AJ Styles Amos match was AJ Styles would go in there and it was a bit weird because he's a baby face so it didn't really work but it did because it worked. It was a good version of something illogical wherein AJ Styles would, as a heel, get the heat, get his <laughs> ass kicked and then uh, be the Ricky Morton except a heel and then tag in Omos, who would do his fun power stuff without being exposed. And by the time AJ Styles being such a good worker, the fans would be on board with the match, and um, Omos would just go in and soak up all the good stuff with a nice sort of receptive crowd basking in what he can do. This was the complete opposite direction. And just, I love incredulous spots, like Diamond Dallas Page doing a dive at Bash at the Beach, and just all this <laughs> kind of, like, Bad Bunny doing a Canadian Destroyer. I'm such... Catnip, easy mark 
for this kind of thing. I didn't expect you to do this. It's it's not like jump the shark, this kind of match layout trope for me at all. I'm still a slack-jawed mark for it, and I'm still absolutely high on it. So to watch the giant leave his feet when you look like, when you've got that, like, Carly Gonzalez, no, you're too big. Omos, no, you're too big, kind of. It's not like Archer or someone like that. It's like, no, you're too big to literally do anything. So to see him leave the feet was awesome. And the helicopter crucifix bomb, which is like sort of an F-10 power bomb. Mm. How have you not broken your neck? This is awesome and terrifying. <laughs> Just genuinely like an incredible subversion of everything I thought this would be. Um, then we get the uh, update from uh, Huckhausen. Uh, Danhausen pulls up and reveals that terrible. they were <laughs> they've been shopping. Uh, they took the, the the winner's purse that they got from fighting on the pape, and they've bought golf carts. And uh, he drives off, and then Hook's behind him, and he just takes down the sunglasses and give Lexi a bit of a look. Lexi gave a bit of a look back. I know it's uh, there, bit of sexual tension, a little something. I there. think it's the idea was, oh look how hot how hot Hook is. Is that he looks hotter, like just. Drilling people on their heads in serious pro wrestling squash matches. Yeah. So I don't need... They're saying that they're making everything so explicit with Hook. He's a meme. And everyone thinks he's hot. It's like just... There was a lot of telling about what Hook is and not showing segment was risible. Someone else, again, not me, pointed out, because I didn't care enough to point out this. Like, some heel at some point is probably going to destroy these vehicles and that's going to be the the impetus for another Hookhausen match. Um... He isn't impetus for a hook match, right? He wins some, so he gets more TV time to win more, and then he can go on like a singles yep. title pursuit. Like I get in it, in a sort of to a certain extent why they've been like putting his tag team because he keeps winning, and we've got these rankings, and there's only so long that we can yeah. sort of say, oh, uh, he's not quite there just yet. Yeah, but yeah, I agree. Just a waste just of time. Spinning, I'm spinning the wheels, ironically. It just feels like they're trying to create a meme, and no memes actually get created; they just happen. Exactly. Uh, then we got Red Velvet versus Chris oh Stylander. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Um, no messing about either. Um, Red Velvet tried to jump Chris Statlander on the floor. She went now, nah. power slammed her out there, press slammed her back into the ring, and then hit a running knee and sent her back out to the floor. And they fight out in front of the baddies, um, including Stokely Hathaway, of course. Uh, Velvet tries to fight back, and she's getting support from from Jade and Kira um, and Stokely, and uh, tries to put her in a sleeper. But uh, Statlander just climbs back into the ring with Red Velvet on her back, and then just chucks her over her shoulder back into the ring. Gets in there, uh, gets a delayed vertical suplex, but Velvet gets out of it before she can slam her down and uh, targets Statlander's knee and works it over to take us to a break. When we come back, Statlander fires back up, hits a backbreaker, shoulders Velvet into the corner. Blue Thunderbomb gets her a two count. Uh, Velvet counters an electric chair with a victory roll for a nice uh, near fall. Um, but Statlander fires up and hits a German suplex out of an O'Connor roll and a fisherman's driver to take over again. Velvet catches Statlander with a knee to the back of the head and a cutter off the mid ro- middle rope um, and that hook kick of hers to uh, get a, a great near fall. But in the end, Statlander hits the, I think it's called the Friday Night Fever now, formerly the Big Bang Theory, of course, for the one, two, three. And then it's all about the big schmoz post-match. Kieran Hogan comes in to jump her. And uh, uh, Jade Cargill, oh yeah, sends her outside to get battered with this Jade Cargill pumpkin, which looked great. Anna Jay runs in to, to, to try and help her mate out, but she gets, and she puts the sleeper on Hogan, but uh, she gets attacked and dumped out of the ring. And then Athena runs down, but security stops her before she can get involved. Selective security. 
Mm. I didn't. There was an illogical way to the way this post-match schmoz played out, which was not ideal, particularly since this collection of wrestlers already feels so much like here's the way we delay doing singles matches. Mm -hmm. And it just, it's very cliched Tony Khan booking at this point. I don't really believe in the various connections. I don't believe that they hate each other or really want to side with each other on the opposite side. It's just a load of soup, basically. <laughs> um, so I don't want that to detract from the match. Before I forget, I really want to put Red Velvet over because she's improved considerably. And um, she sells as a heel. Yeah, she's think. so good at looking like the offense is death. And... Chris Statlander is amazing at making her offense look like death. This is really dramatic, um, really hard-hitting, really well-worked, really compact. Uh, everything you want to say about a good TV match, this meets the criteria. But Chris Statlander is something special, and I just want to put over for two specific reasons before we move on. One, everything she does looks killer. It looks like she's just concussing or badly hurting her opponent. Obviously, she isn't. She's an incredibly safe, um, polished, professional worker. But there's just something about her ability to project how much of a badass she mm -hmm. is and how strong she is um, that just makes me coo with praise. Her forearms, like, and think of the simple forearm and how many more cool or impactful or physically striking moves you will see on any particular AEW show, any given AEW show, her forearm and worked punches, like, people genuinely go, whoa! Like, you can hear the mm. audience go, oh, she just got an orbital bone broken or whatever, their internal monologue, which, which you can hear just through guffaws. <laughs> go, oh, the fact that she can do that with just the most elemental of moves on a taped Rampage show as a woman wrestler in AEW says so much about how she's caught fire. And the fact that she's caught fire is all the more impressive because if you look at it, when you look at how stacked this roster is, one of my key concerns, and this match kind of like made them fade away, is that I miss the AEW where you would get ground floor on a new act. Yeah. Like Jungle Boy and Darby Allen, where... It, to a lesser extent, Sammy Guevara, because he's, like, sort of regressed. But I miss that feeling of, wow, the way WWE did it for years was a complete and utter waste of time. I kind of knew this beforehand, but to see it brought into focus was just all the more thrilling. You don't need to relearn how to work in the performance center for three years. <laughs> um, you don't need any of this. You can get over in front of, like, five, 6,000 people who never knew you, who never really saw you in the indies, who never watched you on NXT, if you're good enough. And it was just thrilling to watch from the ground up superstars get made. And I kind of missed that feature of early AEW because now, with the whole the free agent bloodlettings in WWE and the, the volunteer jumps, it's just, you can go in as a star now. And it's good, it's exciting, but it's not the same. Mm -hmm. Like, built-in, ground-up emotional investment. So because there are so many stars now, it's kind of hard to catch fire because the stars are already stars and they've already got followings and we already know what a Swerve Strickland or a Keith Lee um, or a Buddy Matthews can do. So there's a sort of a, yeah, it's good, but it's still not the same. And because there are so many of these acts that are so renowned and so skilled that you just don't get this feeling of catching fire because there's just too much competition for spots, to watch a wrestler genuinely catch fire from 
a position where they weren't particularly over or well pushed. And to get over in this of all companies is so impressive on the part of Chris Statlander. And I really hope between this and the Ruby Soho match where Soho just did not get a good reaction because mm-hmm. Statlander was so over, I can only hope Tony Khan, if he doesn't have an existing plan to push Chris Statlander as the focal point of this division for the rest of the year, he has to tear up every single one of his plans because they're not going to be as good or as earned as Statlander being the face of this division. Not that it matters what I think, but this was the moment, this was the match for me that made me think you need to put a belt around her waist. Yeah. Like, I'd already, I'd already, you know, heard people talk about it and I understood it, but I was always still a little bit, and I don't know whether it's still me hanging on to, and I know this is very disingenuous, the whole, oh, the alien shit, I wasn't a fan of that, yeah. right? Boop and all that bollocks. Right, and they reinvented her without, like, you know, turning a heel or doing anything like that. They just went, right, no, and she's not doing any of that, she's just Chris Statlander now. I was like, okay, I can see where you're coming from. And like you say, there's the Ruby Soho match, but that was, I was kind of confused as a fan by that because it was like, Ruby wins, but then the crowd don't want it. So you're like, okay, this was it. This was the bit where I was like, boom. I don't care if it's the TBS or the world title, preferably the world title, obviously. But for me, either way, like you say, I completely agree. Yeah. One way or another, she needs a belt around her waist before the end of the year for me. And, uh, yeah, she just excelled here. But credit as well, like you say, to Red Velvet for making everything look so dramatic and yeah. so deadly as well. Um, and like you say, all the bits of the jigsaw are there for these various six women to get into it and to Stokely Hathaway to yell a lot. So I'm kind of like looking forward to that. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't need the whole, oh, now it's time to be security. Now we've watched yeah. two people, you know, get their heads caved in or more than that. Uh, Miro wanted to hurt Ethan Page and win the All-Atlantic title. Uh, Ethan Page... Uh, says he looks up and prays to himself so he can wave the Canadian flag as he beats Miro next week. Like I say, we'll preview that on Dynamite's preview later on this week. Uh, then there's the back and forth before the main event. Mark Henry asked uh, Will Ospreay why he came to AEW, and he says, I'm here to separate the sheep from the goats. See what he's done there. Uh, and Trent says, never liked you. Didn't like you when I met you six years ago, and I don't like you even more now. And FTR are uh, just grumpy bastards who quite rightly say, you're talking bollocks when you say Aussie Open the best tag team in the world. Uh, we're not here to play wrestlers. We're just here to show you we are the best tag team in the world. And then Henry does his thing. Well, looks like we've had enough It's time for the main... Nice work if you can get it, innit? Longer, longer every time. <laughs> anyway, so it was uh, Will Ospreay and Aussie Open representing United Empire uh, versus Trent Beretta and FTR Dax and Ospreay start it off. Quite good, aren't they, in the ring together, really? Uh, same with Cash when he comes in, takes uh, Ospreay down with a shoulder block. Ospreay kips up and does the old dirt off his shoulder sort of thing. Uh, he brings in Carl Flitcher uh, of Aussie Open. I can say that because you're in WCPW, so it's fine. Um, Cash gets caught in the corner, and Mark Davis comes in, and he's the power guy, and they're exemplified by him just dominating. Um, Beretta comes in, and he just gets chopped down by Mark Davis. Osprey gets in. Beretta catches him with a tornado DDT. Um, and Os- uh, Aussie Open running. They get clotheslined to the floor by FTR, and FTR recognizes that everyone's on the outside, so he hit, drops that Asai moonsault, but tweaks his angle, ankle on the landing, as we alluded to earlier. Um, Beretta backdrops Osprey, hits Fletcher with an Inseguri, but then Davis ducks that and uh, sent on him. <laughs> it really did look 
hard hitting that sent on, just landed with yeah. all the weight on him. Uh, Beretta dodges the running drop kick in the corner, and uh, Fletcher lands on the back of his head. Hope he's all right after that. Um, Great sell job regardless. Beretta comes uh, eventually to the corner. Like I say, he's been isolated for a while here. Gets to Dax Harwood. He takes out both members of Aussie Open with suplexes. Just runs wild here. Hits Osprey with a short arm clothesline. Rolling German suplexes. Um, and then he uh, Cash Wheeler hits a powerbomb on Fletcher into another German suplex by Harwood. Jackknife cover from Cash Wheeler. Really good. Just so good showcasing of how good this tag team works together. That gets a near fall on Carl Fletcher. Um, Wheeler catches Osprey with an atomic drop. But uh, then Aussie Open come in and hit an assisted cutter on Wheeler. Osprey 450. Um, I think that's when uh, they have to dive in to break it up the fall. Um, get another near fall off the back of an Oz cutter from Will Osprey. Wheeler hits a Hurricane Rana on Fletcher. Tags Beretta, who comes in, backdrop suplex and lariats. Carl Fletcher um, goes for a tornado DDT on Osprey, but he shrugs it off. Um, and then takes out both members of FTR on the outside with this sort of slingshot plancher. And then out of nowhere, Beretta catches Fletcher with the strong zero. One, two, three. A thrilling match, this. Just like I said at the beginning, not the result I would have predicted and certainly not the people getting the pinfall victory who I would have thought. Yeah, no, it's just totally bizarre. Like, Will Ospreay, I don't like. But as a character, he is... It's weird, it's like Schrodinger's critical acclaim and how much that actually matters and impacts his following. It's so weird viewing Will Ospreay's legacy. On paper, it's absolutely incredible. He's sm- he's smashing the five-star thing mm-hmm. from Meltzer. He's, on paper, if you hold Dave Meltzer's um, opinion in high regard, and I do, he is legitimately one of the greatest wrestlers critically acclaimed of all time. Yep. And yet there's never that big cultural transformative impact of something like Kenny Omega's best work and what he's done in the years since. And how much does it count if they're not like in front of loud vocal packed arenas? That is is it more impressive that he's Managing to get so many great matches under his belt in front of clap crowds. I was going to say, so if a wrestler gets a five-star match in front of a clap crowd, does it really happen? That's the thing. Like, <laughs> I just can't really... That's why I love the parking lot brawl so much, man. It's yeah. the most perfect pandemic match because it's the sort of thing that... It doesn't really feel like some kind of bittersweet emulation of wrestling, which is what all pandemic matches did. That one didn't. Anyway, this is by the by. It was just... Will Ospreay, want not, you don't hear these reactions. So you can't say he's been in the hottest, loudest, most moment, most like memorable matches of all time because they're in front of clap crowds. A lot of people think he's an arsehole, so he doesn't have that same kind of critical acclaim where people are really happy to just to bestow it upon him. Like, I'm not alone in being the only person who's kind of reluctant to praise Ospreay because he tried to separate the art from the artist mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. Um, people have asked... Why I don't like Osprey as a person, I'd rather you just Googled it yourself. Mm-hmm. And came up with your own opinion. One, I don't want to say anything on a podcast. Mm-hmm. Two, um, you can make your own mind up. But I personally just don't like his energy mm. or his vibe. Regardless, in fiction, he's a former IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. He's at the age now where he's surely going to win at the very least one more. Mm-hmm. He is essentially a New Japan equivalent of a... Omega Punk, Danielson, Moxley, Page, MJF, Guy. So I have his 
first loss on a rampage in a trios match in his first match. It was just puzzling. Look, I'll also be honest. Even before the result, I wasn't this. I wasn't watching this match thinking this is an absolutely incredible bit of business. I'm totally exhilarated by it. This is blowing my mind right now. I genuinely just thought this is a really good trios match with some really good wrestling in it, and it never reached that stage where it's like, right, my mind is gone, and I'm absolutely bang into it. Mm. I never got there. I was just mo- mostly just saying, oh, yeah, Cash Wheeler's working really well. Um, Dax wouldn't, Will Ospreay wouldn't have put them together, but run that back as a singles. Oh, yeah. But I wasn't really going crazy for it. I don't think it was a special match. I don't even think it was an out-and-out-and-out and out and out banger. It was merely very good. And realistically, given Osprey's profile, what he could mean to this company, um, just a miss all round. And it was the very best wrestling match version of a miss. Yeah, yeah. But it was still kind of a miss for me. Yeah, see, I had a good time watching it, but it was just completely overshadowed subsequently with the just baffling decision to, to do the finish that they yeah, did. Yeah, structurally, it wasn't like a very special trios match. It was a very good one, but it didn't blow my mind. There mm. wasn't anything in it where I thought... That's the luxury of a trios match is that because there's so much action in it, it's literally tripled compared to a normal match, that it's very easy for you to just lose yourself in the throes of the drama. And I've really got that that intangible Maybe feeling. Maybe spoiled, like, with, with, you know, Death Triangle and, and yeah. uh, House of Black. That's the levels we're looking at here. Yeah, this and is more potentially uh, more of a wrestling match than a spot fest trios match. I do understand there's a distinction, but it still wasn't anything that I would call capital G great. Mm, exactly. And no. that's honestly not my opinion of Osprey no, coloring no, no. my perception of the match because I will begrudgingly say he's done stuff that I've considered some of the best work in pro wrestling history. Yeah, exactly. Well, this match was Shingle from 2019. Oh my god. <laughs> Let us know your thoughts on AEW Rampage on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch they can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at M Sidgwick. Becoming All Elite, The Rise of AEW Sidgwick's brilliant book is still available on Amazon right now. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE, as I said. Uh, and make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from. For daily wrestling podcasts, the SmackDown review is available right now. And we'll be back later on today to preview Monday Now Raw. But for now, this has been the Rampage review. Review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.